this morning. Good to see the presence of all that are here. We have a good crowd. I know it's been tough through the through the COVID and all the sickness, but we have a wonderful audience this morning. This morning I want to speak on a topic that I've entitled Pray Like a Dog, and I appreciate the prayer, Jeffrey's prayer, and uh, after studying this topic and putting together this lesson, I, uh, prayer, my prayer life means a little more to me. Uh, it's a little more sincere when I pray to the Lord. And so hopefully this morning, as we study this, you'll understand what we mean by pray like a dog <clears throat> at the end in your prayer life, too, will be greatly improved and mean more to you. As a way of introduction, I want to just, uh, you to suppose for a moment this morning that you have a severe problem. And this problem just is so severe that you just, it consumes your life. You think about it morning, noon, and night, it affects you, it affects the people around you, and this problem is so great that you need help in a, in a severe way. But you've heard about someone, a man in particular, that, that can help you with this problem, and, and so you travel for days to get to this man that can give you the, the answers to your problem. And when you arrive... You see him surrounded by a group of his buddies. And so you're kind of standoffish at first. And, but you, your problem is so great that you go before this man and you just pour out your heart to him with your problem. And you just lay it all out at his feet. And as you look at him, he doesn't answer you. He's just silent. Doesn't say a word. And so you ask again. And this time, his buddies start talking. All those that are around him, and they say, y'all just get rid of this person. They're annoying. They're embarrassing us. Just send them away. But your problem is so great that you ask again. And this man says, well, I came to help these people, and you're not one of them. But you ask again. And now you're into begging. And this person says, it wouldn't be right for me to give the blessings of these people or the help that I'm giving them to the dogs. What would you think about a man like that? You came all this way, you traveled for miles, and yet this man treats you like this? You're asking for help? What if I told you that this man's name was Jesus? Interesting, huh? I want us to read in Matthew chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, we want to invite you to open them. We'll have most of the scriptures on the board this morning, but we encourage you to open your Bibles. And follow along, we'll be reading out of the King James Version. Matthew chapter 15, beginning in verse 21, it says, Then Jesus went thence and departed into the coast of Tyre and Zidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came out of the same coast and cried unto him, saying, 
Have mercy on me, O Lord, thou son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. But he answered her not a word. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Send her away, for she cries after us. But he answered and said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not me to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, Truth, Lord, yet the, uh, the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said unto her, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou will. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. Now then, it's interesting. This passage is interesting to me. And, and at first glance, you go, why would Jesus treat her in this way? A person that comes to her to him for help that's really got a problem. And there may be some, <clears throat> you know, I, I can't read the mind of Jesus, but maybe he was trying her faith. You know, the trying of our faith works patience. And maybe Jesus was trying her faith like, like he tried Abraham with his son Isaac, you know, to test him, to see if he really would follow or whether he really meant this. And maybe Jesus was doing that to her but there are some things that I believe we can learn from this that will help us have a stronger faith, that will help us depend on Jesus more, perhaps, than we do now. The first thing that I want us to think about and learn from this is that our true faith is drawn to Jesus by his greatness. And it's driven by the greatness of our need. In other words, when we recognize who Jesus really is, we're going to be drawn to him. He's the answer to our prayer. And when we have a need and we recognize that we're helpless, we'll be driven to him because he's the only one that can help. This lady recognized that. And her faith drew her to Jesus. And her need drove her there. Notice in the passage that we read, that she called him Lord. She acknowledged that he had an authority as master. Now, somewhere this lady had heard about it. She was a Gentile, but somewhere she had heard enough about Jesus, she called him Lord and recognized him as master. And then she goes on to say, thou son of David, which means that she recognized he was the king and savior promised to Israel by God. Somewhere she had learned all of this, and she brought this to Jesus and begged him and prayed to him, and she recognized his greatness. You know, our true faith brings us to Jesus when we recognize who Jesus really is. And sometimes I think we treat Jesus like a little idol. And what I mean by that is a little statue. We treat Jesus like that. Oh, yeah, that's, that's Jesus. And, and we, we reverence him, and we go to church, and we, we thank him. But when it really comes to falling on our knees before him and having faith that Jesus is the answer to our problems, we don't do that. 
we just see Jesus as, you know, he's that, that, that authority figure. We, we mention his name occasionally. This lady traveled for days to get to Jesus. This lady didn't bring anything but her heart to Jesus. And she recognized his greatness. Now then, in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now notice what it said in verse 14 of John chapter 1. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You know who this lady was standing or kneeling before? God in the flesh. When we recognize Jesus as God come down to this earth in the flesh, the creator of the universe, then we'll be drawn to him because he is the master, he is the king, he is the savior, he is the creator. He is the answer to our problems. And so when we recognize the greatness of Jesus, We'll be drawn to him. Now, the second part of that is that our need drives us to Jesus. And sometimes I think that we don't really depend upon Jesus because maybe our problems aren't as great as, as they should be. You know, in my own life, there are times when I depend upon myself. I think, well, you know, I need to handle this. I need to deal with this. I need... You know, and I, and, and I began to put a plan in act, of action in, in place, and I need to talk to this person or go to this person. I need to seek counsel here. And usually Jesus doesn't come into play until the last minute when I'm finally lost and I have nowhere else to go and I bow down before him. We got it wrong. Jesus needs to be the first one we go to. Because our needs are great. Notice her daughter was vexed by a demon. Vexed there means under the power of. Now then, when you see your child suffer, that's a terrible thing when a parent sees their child suffer. I've seen my child suffer or my children suffer. And you know, it bothers me as a parent. But not only does it bother me, but it bothers my family around me because it bothers me. It bothers my church family because it bothers me. It bothers my people outside that I socialize with because it bothers me that my child suffers and this woman's child was under the power of this demon and so it vexed her and it tells you where she was in the process. She knelt before Jesus and said, have mercy on me. Admission that she couldn't do anymore. That she needed help. Have mercy on me. And if your problem is great enough, you'll be driven to Jesus. When you recognize how great Jesus really is and who he is, you'll be drawn to him. Now then, in this passage... He refers to her as a dog. We'll talk about that in a moment. Kind of insulting. 
But there's some things we can learn from a dog. I don't know how many of you have a dog for a pet. I've got one. She can be a nuisance sometimes. <laughs> but you know, when I read this passage, I think about my dog, and I think about how Jesus applied that teaching. A dog adores and is drawn to his master. You know, Dee complains because my dog won't pay attention to her. But I just move, and my dog is there. <laughs> I, I ruffle, ruffle the trash bag to take it out, and you know what? She's there. She wants to go with me. I say, let's go get the mail, and she's there. She goes with me. I sit in a chair, and she comes and lays her head on my, on my arm. She adores me. Do we adore Jesus that much? We can learn a lot from a dog. A dog is driven and desperately begs for what it cannot do on its own. When we recognize we can't do it on our own, we'll go to Jesus. And a dog recognizes. They, there are certain needs a dog has, a, a pet dog, that, that that dog cannot provide for itself. You hear a whine every once in a while, and you know the dog needs to, and it's dancing around. You know it needs to go outside. It can't open the door and go outside, so somebody has to do it. In Luke 7, in verse 47, the disciples were gathered together in a house with Jesus, and a lady came in and broke a bottle of ointment on Jesus' feet and began to wash his feet with her hair. And I think about that scene every once in a while and how, you know, this lady was really in a desperate way to bow down and wash somebody's feet with her hair. She was pretty desperate. And the disciples were confused about it. They thought, well, this is degrading. This lady, if he even knew who she was, he, he wouldn't even let her touch her, touch him. And Jesus taught them something there. Jesus taught them that this lady had a great need. Perhaps their need wasn't as great. He said, when I came in, you didn't even offer me water to wash my feet, which was just a customary, uh, customary gesture of, of hospitality. He said, you didn't even do that. You didn't even greet me with a kiss like, hello, I'm glad to see you. And this woman is kissing my feet. This woman had a great need. Therefore, I say unto thee, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But to whom little is forgiven, the same loveth little. Think about your prayer life. When you go to Jesus, do you need a lot or do you just need a little? And I'll do everything else myself. The older I get, the more I recognize I need Jesus more. Number two, faith keeps after or seeks Jesus, keeps seeking Jesus or after Jesus, no matter what the obstacles. 
Oh, and I found myself in this one quite a bit. You know, this lady could have given up just immediately. And she faced many of the obstacles that we, we face today that we're really willing to quit on the Lord for. Notice the first one, the silence of Jesus. In verse 23, but he answered not a word. How many times have you prayed to God and you didn't get an answer? Or you felt like you didn't get an answer? I've heard people say, well, I prayed to God and he never answered it, so why pray? Here was a lady in front of God and he answered not a word. Didn't say a thing. And if she was like most of us, sometimes we go, well, God didn't answer or he didn't give, he just don't want to answer. So what's the use of praying? I'm just going to quit praying to God. I'm just, I'm just giving up. Why don't you know something? She didn't give up. She asked him again. Even though he was silent, she kept on begging or praying like a dog. Let me give you an example of this dog. The other night, I was in my office on the computer and doing some computer work, and you know, sometimes I get involved, in, uh, especially when you're writing sermons or you're maybe even doing financial stuff, and, and your mind is just right there, and, and, uh, and so I'm working on the computer, and out of the corner of my eye, I, I see our dog, Zena, come into the room, and she just walks in, and and she just sits there and stares at me. <laughs> and I pay her, I just didn't pay her any attention. I just, you know, I thought, well, she just wants to be in here. And after I began to work again a little bit, in a few minutes, I feel a cold nose on my arm. <laughs> she had come up to the chair and was poking me with her nose. And you know what I said? Go on, I've got things to do. Just, uh, we'll play later. And so she walked out of the room. In a few minutes, she comes back into that room and she sits there and stares at me and she begins to whine. It caught my attention. She was praying. She was begging her master for attention to give her something. Turns out her food bowl was empty. I hadn't fed her, <laughs> fed her that day. She needed food. That's a necessity of life. Her need was great, and so she was begging her master. That's what it means to pray like a dog. We have a master, and we can pray to that master. We can beg him, and this lady was begging him. She was praying to Jesus for help concerning her daughter, <clears throat> that first one, he didn't even answer. But she prayed again. Notice the next obstacle, the negative attitude of the disciples. All of those disciples that were gathered around Jesus, she's there begging and whining and complaining. She wants help. And it says that they said, send her away for she crieth after us. Now the word crieth there means out loud. She was not silent about her prayer. 
She was begging out loud to Jesus for help. And the disciples said, send her away. Get rid of her. She's an embarrassment. She won't leave us alone. You know, many of us had quit by now. If somebody in the church said, well, you're an embarrassment, we'd quit, wouldn't we? Somebody insults us, maybe hurts our feelings. You know what we say? Well, I'll just find somewhere else to go. And usually when we say that, we go to somewhere else that we don't even agree with their doctrinal principles, but we'll go there because somebody here insulted us. And we didn't even do what Jesus said and go to that brother or sister and reconcile that. And so we disobeyed God and we go to some other place we don't even agree with because we're mad. These disciples said, send her away. A lot of us said, just give up. This lady didn't. She kept praying. Kind of like my third time. She didn't give up. She was hungry. Let me give you another thing that causes us to quit. And that's difficult doctrines. Sometimes we'll hear something and we'll, oh, I don't agree with that. Or I don't like that. Notice in verse 24 of this passage, Jesus said, I am not sent but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. What Jesus was telling this woman is, I came to help these people these Jews, these Israelites, and I did not come to help you. You're a, you're a Canaanite. You're a Gentile. I came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And that was a doctrine. Earlier, when Jesus sent out the disciples, he said, don't go to the Gentiles. Go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And so that truth was a doctrine. And sometimes we hear a doctrine that convicts us. Maybe I hear something while I'm sitting in church and it pricks my heart. Maybe I'm doing something wrong or living wrong and someone preaches about something and it convicts me. And you know what I do? Well, they're talking about me. And so I'll just quit the church. Instead of fixing the problem. Instead of getting your heart right with God, we just give up. We'll quit because it convicts us. I've heard people hear the gospel message preach and go, well, if that's the way Jesus is, I don't want any part of him. Sometimes we te teach doctrines on marriage and, and uh, we teach what God's teaching is on one man and one woman in marriage. And then the world teaches a different thing, that it's okay to have a homosexual practice or a relationship, and then we teach the doctrine of God, and they say, well, that's the way God is. I don't want any part of God. Sometimes hard doctrines cause us to give up. In John 6 and verse 60, starting in verse 60, as Jesus was talking to some of the disciples that followed him, these Jews, it says, many therefore of his disciples, when they heard this, they said, this is a hard saying, who can hear it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said to them, does this offend you? What Jesus was telling them in chapter six is, I have come from heaven to give you life. That's what he said. 
I am the bread, the manna sent down from heaven. He that partakes of me, my body and my blood, in other words, he that consumes me can have everlasting life. And they were offended. You're, you're saying you're from heaven? You're claiming that you're God? Notice in verse 62, what if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? Would you believe it even if I went back? They were offended. Verse 63, it is the spirit that quickened the flesh that profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. But there are some of you that believe not. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And he said, therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except it be given unto him of my father. From that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. It's the same today. Sometimes we hear a hard doctrine or something we don't like in the Bible. And instead of submitting to the will of God, we're willing to walk away from God. But I'm going to tell you what, this woman that came to Jesus, she heard this hard doctrine. But she didn't walk away. There are a lot of people that hear the gospel plan of salvation and will walk away from it. Speaking of the gospel, Peter said to the Jews, unto you first, God, having raised up his son Jesus, sent him to bless you and turn away every one of you from his iniquities. Jesus came to the Jews first and the gospel was preached to them. It is the power of God unto salvation to all them that believe, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. Even later when Paul and Barnabas was preaching and working, it says they waxed bold and said it was necessary that the word of God should first have been spoken to you. God made a point to bring it to the Jews first. Now look what happened. But seeing you put it from you. Seeing you put it from you, you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life, and lo, we turn to the Gentiles. You didn't want to hear it. It was offered to you, life eternal, but you didn't want to hear it. And today, the gospel is still preached. The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And when we obey a form of that in baptism for the remission of our sins, and people will say, I don't believe it. And they go a different way. They put it from them. And Paul and Barnabas said, when you do that, you judge yourself unworthy of everlasting life. This woman, she wanted what Jesus had and she continued to pray to him. She continued to beg him for help. Notice another obstacle the woman faced. She was a Canaanite. A Canaanite woman, she was a descendant from the cursed Canaan. If you remember after the flood when Ham went into his father's tent and saw his father's nakedness, and after Noah had discovered what his son had done, then he cursed Canaan. Now, Canaan was the son of Ham. It was his grandson. Basically, I think he was saying, you're just like your father, and you're, you're going to continue to be evil. And so he cursed Canaan and said, you're going to be a servant to your brethren. And years later, down in generation of time, we find a land full of Canaanites. We call it the land of Canaan. You know why these people were chased out? 
Sometimes people say God was cruel because he took the land away from them and gave it to the Israelites. Well, many years before, God brought Abram to the promised land and said, I'm going to give this to your children, but not yet. Because the iniquity of the Gentiles is not full. In other words, God's saying, I'm going to give them another chance. I'm going to give them opportunity to repent and to change from their iniquities, their wicked ways. In the meantime, the children of Israel spent 430 years in the land of Egypt. So it was about 500 years that God gave to the Canaanites to repent. God's a merciful God. And he gave all that time for them to repent, and they didn't do it. And now God said, I'm going to give that land to my people, and I'm going to chase the Canaanites out. And originally, they were to slaughter every Canaanite, not leave anybody. But the children of Israel failed that mission, and now there's a Canaanite woman that lives in the land. Notice what Paul said to the Ephesians about the Gentiles. He said that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were sometime afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. You know what situation she was in? She was a Gentile. She was without God and no hope in the world. And here she is. I heard about a man. I went to this man. I understand that he can help people. I understand that he's the promise that was to come to Israel. And she poured out her heart to this man. And she's facing him behind the eight ball because she's a Gentile. And Jesus has already said, I didn't come for the Gentiles. I came for the children of Israel. What an obstacle. Many obstacles. And you know what she said after that? Lord, help me. She kept on praying. She kept on after Jesus. No matter what the obstacle is, we need to seek Jesus. The third thing I want us to understand or learn is that our faith agrees with Jesus no matter what he says. This one's hard because we want to argue with Jesus sometimes. Notice what Jesus said. It's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. Right there, we're through. We're done because I didn't come to be insulted and you call me a dog, right? How insulting. Jesus said, I can't give this, these people's blessings to a dog. Did the woman contradict him? No, she didn't argue with him. She didn't complain about him calling her a dog. She said, truth, Lord, is what she said. She said, you're right. You're right, I'm a dog. Sometimes we look at scriptures and we just glance over them and not really fully understand what they're telling us. Notice Isaiah 64 and 6. But we are all as an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags, and we do all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away. You know what Isaiah is saying? He's just not saying you're just like a, a dirty rag. What he's saying is in your righteousness, in all of your righteousness, you're still a filthy rag. 
In other words, the very best that you can do, at your best, you're still filthy in your righteousness. We understand there's times when we're filthy. But he says even when we're in our own righteousness, we're still filthy. And that's why we need Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 21, for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, in order to be righteous with God, we have to have Jesus. When we recognize his greatness and our need, we'll come to Jesus. When we understand that even at our best, we're still filthy, we'll come to Jesus. Number four, faith reasons in agreement with Jesus using his own words. In other words, I can't sit and debate Jesus with logic that would outdo him. I can't use arguments of the world against Jesus. If I'm going to reason with Jesus, I have to use his own, own words and his own logic because his ways are so much higher than my ways. Being called a dog may not seem very flattering, but the woman found hope in it. Notice what she said. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat of the crumbs which fall from the master's table. Just give me a crumb. We may say, well, a crumb, crumb's not very much. A crumb is a lot. When you understand Jesus, the creator of the universe, a crumb of that would be tremendous. Just give me a crumb. Give me a scrap. When we realize how great Jesus is, a scrap is all we need. And that's what this lady prayed for. Just give me a scrap, a crumb from the master's table. Number five, faith, true faith, gets Jesus' approval and blessings. Her faith caught Jesus' attention. In verse 28, it says, O woman, great is thy faith. Be it unto thee, even as thou wilt. And her daughter was made whole from that very hour. There were other Gentiles that had come to Jesus with great faith. A centurion came to Jesus at one point and said, you don't even have to come to the house. You just speak the word, and I know my, my child will be well. And you know what Jesus said? I've not even found such great faith in Israel. Among my own people, they don't have that kind of faith. And here's this Gentile woman. She had such great faith in Jesus that he could help, that it pleased Jesus. Notice in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. These are the two things we have to believe that he is. We have to understand who he is and how great he is. We have to understand who Jesus really is. Believe that he is. And that he rewards those who diligently seek him. And the key there is diligently. You know, sometimes we just throw up a little prayer. Hear God, have a prayer. But a picture of diligence in seeking God is this woman. As she knelt before him, and no matter what came her way, she, she begged him. 
over and over and over again. She was diligent in seeking him, and he rewarded her for that. So if your faith is in Jesus, don't talk about your qualification in receiving the blessing. Well, you know, I've been pretty good, so maybe I deserve it. I'm better than this one over here, so I need a blessing, Lord. It's not about how good you are. At your best, you're still filthy. What it's about is your relationship with Jesus. Do you recognize how great he is? And do you understand how great your need is? You don't deserve help. You ask for help. You beg for help. In Luke 17 and 10, so likewise ye, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, saying, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. You don't deserve the blessings of God. But he's willing to give them to you freely. But you have to seek him. You have to pray to him. You have to beg like a dog. In James 4 and verse 6, but he gives more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Here's the key. Don't be prideful when you come before Jesus. This woman was a picture of humility. She came in a very urgent need. She came in front of other people that, it, that might be embarrassing situation. She overcame the truth that, hey, he wasn't there to help her even to the point where he called her a dog. But she kept praying. She kept persisting. She was humble when she came to the Lord. And we need to be humble too. This morning, you may feel helpless in your situation in life. You may feel helpless like a little puppy that needs somebody to feed it and to hug it and to hold it. You may feel like a dirty dog, somebody that's been digging in the wrong hole. You may feel like an unwanted mutt. You know, there's all kinds of advertisement. This, you know, this dog is unwanted and there's shelters all over the place for unwanted dogs. You may feel like that. You need to go to Jesus. If you're dirty... You need to go to Jesus. If you're helpless, you need to go to Jesus. You may feel unimportant, like a dog begging for crumbs, but you need to go to Jesus. You need to pray like a dog. And Jesus will be the answer for your problems. There's no shame. Come to Jesus as we stand and sing.